I have an addiction. I'll admit it. I could listen to anybody talk about their creative craft and how they made something for hours. I'm utterly lost in any of those conversations. I'm hooked. I love it when comedians talk about the process of developing their jokes or their acts. Uh, you could be a woodworker, an author, a director, and of course, a podcaster. You could be someone who runs an Etsy store selling exclusively ceramic coasters with orange frogs painted on them. It doesn't matter. If you made a thing and you're excited about it, I want to hear you philosophize about the process. I want to know about the hidden moments, the creative choices, the things that worked or didn't, the story behind the story, the tiny little pieces. So it should make total sense that on this show, we try to make total sense of other shows. And it's no wonder that the show we dissect today provides the best sense of wonder about creativity of all the podcasts we've found. I want to know how to do the things you do A thing, a two, a three that only comes from you Hey, I'm Jay Akunzo. Three Clips is from MarketingShowrunners.com. And on this show, we explore the hidden creative choices that go into making great podcasts. In too many cases, people believe creativity means big. But on this show, we believe it's all about the tiny techniques, the micro moments, and the refreshing wrinkles with the intent of making something that resonates deeply with your audience. Today, a show revered across the audio landscape and a deep, cathartic conversation about that show with one of our producers who found some small moments that made a big difference in their relationship to the program. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. The point isn't to make a show. The point is to make a difference. It just so happens to be audio. That is the driving belief behind our audience's favorite project of ours here at marketingshowrunners.com, our newsletter. It just relaunched after a few weeks away, and it's now called Playing Favorites. Don't make a podcast, make a difference, make their favorite show. Every week, I personally write to you with a new idea framed as a question that you can take back with you to your work to do something better, no matter what it is you're creating. Plus, you'll get a roundup of our best stuff from that week, shout outs to other things that we're thankful for, and exclusive access to things like discounts to our workshops, brand new projects we're just launching, and periodic creative experiments we're trying out. Our newsletter is our home base for the very best ideas and our very favorite people that we serve. Join subscribers from brands like The New York Times, The BBC, Adobe, MailChimp, Shopify, and thousands of startups, small businesses, and creative freelancers. Check your show notes for the link or visit marketingshowrunners.com slash subscribe. All right, so producer Tally Gabriel is here, and a while ago, because Tally is a musician, so the thing you have to know about Tally is that she is a musician who plays uh, cello in Cardboard Rocket Ship, which is a folk band out of New York City who also is responsible for our great theme music, so thank you for hooking that up. It was our pleasure. <laughs> so, so support Tally, support indie creators. That's what a lot of our work is all about. So check out Tally Gabriel on Spotify and her band Cardboard Rocket Ship. Um, I love that you're putting out singles now, by the way. So yeah, so, so the thing you have to know if you're listening to this show, Tally's a musician and she and I often talk about feeling all the feels in our work, whether we're telling stories or creating any kind of art. 
And so a, a long time ago, I was like, you have to listen to this show. And you were like, oh, that sounds great. And then I checked in with you like a few <laughs> months later. I'm like, did you ever listen to that show? And you're like, no, but it sounds great. And I was like, all right, here's the deal. Just do an episode about the show. Let's force you to get into it because I know it would be so high impact for you. Uh, and right before we hit record, you came on and you're, you were like glowing about this program. Yes. Well, okay. Also, in my defense, the second time you reminded me about the show, I did listen to an episode back then. Okay. So I have been listening to Song Exploder for, yeah, a few months. And I, I've listened to almost all of them at this point. I love this show so much. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons you and I would geek out about this just yes. from a creative standpoint. So we'll, we'll do some of that today. But before we get too ahead of ourselves, which we can do because we're both excited about this this podcast, we're dissecting let's just head into the facts of the show so what is the show and then give us the details one by one the three little pillars of a great show the talent the premise and the format great so this the song (laughs) the show is called the show is called song exploder and the talent is host and creator rishikesh hirway and he is one of the coolest people I've ever heard of after looking more into him. <laughs> he's a musician under the name The 1AM Radio, and he's also in the band Moors, so check out his stuff. M-O-O-R-S, Moors. Correct. Yep, Moors. He composes for film, TV, and podcasts, including the score for the 2018 Netflix TV series Everything Sucks. He also serves the Library of Congress as an advisor on digital strategy. What? is yeah. this guy who even is how can you even what my thoughts exactly <laughs> rishikesh rishikesh like save some for the rest of us man honestly reading his bio you're like oh okay cool 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 cool, cool. <laughs> all right so, so rishikesh is one of the best voices in podcasting but what's interesting is he doesn't appear as a voice all the time in the show that's a little tease a little open loop about the format but tally before you talk to us about the format what is the premise of song exploder Right. So in Song Exploder, Rishikesh has musicians take apart their songs and tell the story of how they're made, breaking apart the elements that the listeners would hear when they listen to a song as, you know, a complete song product. But in the podcast, we really dive into why each musical and storytelling choice was made for the recorded version. So what's an example like of an episode? Um, An example of like the Mumford and Sons episode. They did a, a song Believe which isn't one of their more popular songs, which is kind of cool. But yeah, that they talk about like exactly why the percussion line was made and exactly. Mm -hmm. It's like when you listen to a full song, sometimes I think you can just kind of, you get lost in it, which is great, but you hear the whole thing all together and you might not even totally be aware of which instruments are used. Right. And it just breaks down each decision. Or I was listening to the Maggie Rogers episode one too. And which is cool. She was in my class at NYU, so that's a fun fact. Oh, nice. Um, Wait, were you in the room when Pharrell came in and listened to her track? That that famous moment that that vaulted Maggie Rogers into it, like international. No, startup? no, because I. Oh, okay. <laughs> unfortunately, not. We I wasn't in the recorded music program, but we were both in the same in Tish together. Anyway, um, but like the drum beat of the recorded version of Alaska, the song that blew up, is she she made it on her jeans. She's just drumming on her jeans, and that's wow. Wow. In the recorded version. Yeah. So th- things like you would never know that. Yeah. And that's what I think this pot, this show is just so exquisite for that reason, because you learn those little gems. And, and the premise, uh, 
the way we describe a premise as a showrunner, and when we're in our workshops, the showrunner sessions, this is how we try to craft and pitch the premises that we all have for our shows. It's how we learn premise development in part is this really useful exercise called the XY premise pitch or the XY framework. The way we do it, I've mentioned it before on the show, but just to recap, is to say, this is a show about X where we Y. Or you can even take it a step further if you want to really be an original. This is a show about X, but unlike other shows that cover X, only we Y. And so in this case, it's like, this is a show about musicians and their music. Like such a saturated niche. It is audio after all. But only we talk to them about the hidden moments and what it took to create this track, especially when it's not their most famous track. Or only we have a musician deconstruct their own music and piece it back together a few a few parts at a time. Like, very much evocative of what we're trying to do on Three Clips. Like, it's this dissection of the created work. But on this show, on, sh- on Song Exploder, they have the musician go into the weeds of creating and, and parsing and, and, and piecing it back together, which is brilliant. And that brings us to the format. The format of Song Exploder is 20-ish minute narrative episodes, which first of all, they're super digestible because they're short in this way. Yeah. And in the format, Rishikesh interviews artists about how their song comes together, but then edits the audio so we don't hear him asking most of the questions. So wait, just to understand that point. So yeah, I- explain that slightly differently. So he's he's doing the interview but he's not present in the final cut correct so he right he asks the artist questions and then when he edits the audio all together he weaves their answers into a story so you don't hear his voice asking any of the questions and it sounds like the artist is just telling you this great long story about how their song came together it's brilliant. It's immersive. Uh, it also it, it speaks to the fact that you can make an amazing show without yourself being um, some kind of on mic performer. Um, and so I, I love that. It, it, it's a, a wrinkle on the typical interview show, and it makes it sound far less like an interview. In fact, not like an interview at all. It sounds like a narrative from the guest. Right. Absolutely. And he edits the music just just wonderfully, which is a pretty important part of this show. Yeah. And then at the very end of each episode, you listen to the full recorded version of the song that the artist has broken apart for you. So you right. get that very cathartic, like, aha, yes, I hear that part now, and I hear that part now. It, it truly is genius. Um, some other fun... Yeah, yeah, anything things, else about the show? Yeah, just some other fun things to know about the show is that it was named Podcast of the Year by Quartz in 2015, and Vulture called it probably the best use of the podcast format ever (laughs) casual and the new york times wrote in the world of beautifully produced podcasts song exploder is the beacon it's a show filled with serious lines of honesty cinematic production and peaks inside the creative process i hear that and i'm like yes freaking please let's go to the three clips now tally so i i can't wait i actually do not know what you brought to us so i'm super excited because i can only imagine you were overwhelmed trying to pick out just three clips. Absolutely. Even picking an episode in the first place is like, which one do I start with? <laughs> which one did you pick? So as we've discussed, I've listened to almost every episode and it was tough to pick. But I picked a recent episode with Laura Marling. Okay. I don't know Laura. Oh, okay. She's a, an English folk singer and she is a big inspiration of mine, which is maybe part of why I picked her. Um, and also her last, her latest album came out 
a few months ago in quarantine. And so that's just a very fresh album in my mind as oh, well. Nice. And I've listened to it on a few of my, you know, safe social distance walks and all of that. So, okay, cool. So the, the episode is with Laura Marling. Give us just a little bit about the track that we're going to break down. And then if you can, give us context about clip one. Yes, the track is called Song for Our Daughter, which is also the title of the album. Um, Laura Marling does not have a daughter, so it's pretty interesting. <laughs> clip one happens pretty early in the episode. The episodes are formatted, so Rishikesh introduces the artist and the song, They Will Be Exploding. And then we get a little taste of that song and then dive into the artist's answers to his questions. Okay, got it. So you do get that little, and I do I do love this about the show, you get a little taste without them discussing it of just, here's what the song is like. Yes. And then, he, and then they start to break it down piece by piece. Correct. So when we listen to this first clip, I want you to think of one thing specifically transitions oh i love that okay transitions well let's uh transition into clip into the number clip. one here we go she won the brit award for best british female solo artist she's been nominated five times for that along with the mercury prize and the grammy for best folk album since 2008 she's released seven albums the most recent is called song for our daughter that's also the name of the song that she takes apart in this episode i spoke to laura while she was in her home studio in london Though they may want you to tread in their trail Only to see if the path they set fails My name is Laura Marling. This is the longest I've ever taken to write a record. One thing that I love so much about this clip is that a mini story is told even in these 30 or so seconds like we are just thrown so quickly and clearly into the world that rishikesh is creating for us and every episode is like this which blows my mind <laughs> so jay my question for you is how does rishikesh get these transitions to feel so smooth and organic we just went through a narration from him we listened to part of a song and then we got an introduction to the guest so quickly and smoothly Yes. So let's let's look at it not from the perspective of a producer to start or an editor or the host. Let's look at it from the perspective of the audience, because I think there's a really key point here. I've brought it up a couple times on three clips, but it, I think it bears repeating once again, as, as a lot of the things we talk about do. Um, when you can't see somebody speaking, you can't see their mouth, you can't see how their emotions, their body language, all that stuff comes through physically. What ends up happening is you lose the ability to infer things. So you have to like be handed that. So part of the psychology of this is we have to set the tone with like tone of voice, you know, the way Rishikesh is very even keel when he speaks and Rishikesh's natural speaking tone matches this artist. That's not the case for every episode. He is a very laid back person, a very introspective person. And so is this artist. So is this track. So now that that's part of the smoothness you detect his performance and the track line up very nicely. But there's one more thing that happens when the audience can't see you, which is they're always behind you. They're slightly behind where you are. So the words that you are hearing me speak, dear listener, I am speaking them a tick ahead of you making sense of them, right? Because you're hearing the word. It forms a visual in your mind. You try to make sense of the word, and then you're like, okay, he means this. Like when I say bicycle takes a split second for you to picture a bike. So what happens is most people who edit audio 
end up editing it to be too quick in the in the pacing because they are looking at the waveform and maybe they even spoke the words themselves. But when you lack those visual cues, when you're out in the world listening, now you need a little bit of a beat. And so part of the smoothness here is that the moments are stretched out a little bit, ever so slightly. I'm talking like fraction of a second to a second to give us the ability to just enjoy the ride because we never fall behind. And, you know, for me as a, as a fast talker, sometimes I think I can derail an experience if I don't then edit it later. And so the key, if you are like me and you're a fast talker, is don't slow down your pace. Add in little beats between points you're making. So don't unnaturally slow down. Be this quick speaker, but speak in bursts and give a beat. And I learned this as a public speaker. So those are the two things I want to bring up here, Tally. Number one is the audience cannot infer anything. So a lot of the tone has to be really obvious to you. And then second, you, the listener, are always slightly behind the points being made and the words being spoken. So you need to be given that little beat in the edit. Or like me right now, if I'm thinking like an editor while performing, I need to give you those beats. So, Tally, I toss it back to you. You mentioned transitions. What specifically was interesting about the transitions here? I think that they they happened so seamlessly to me, which we mentioned a little bit, but just that it was three very different things. It was Rishikesh's voice, a song, and Laura Marling starting to speak. Three very important parts of this episode. Like, we can't miss any of that as a listener. And I, I think sometimes I worry about yeah how do you signal that something is important and it i didn't feel like i needed that here like i just knew i grabbed onto all of these parts i was like yes i need to pay attention to this and also this and also this equally in a way it is it's like cooking it's like you could if you really think about it you could notice each ingredient separately to any dish if you're trained to look for it and obviously song exploder and three clips are both shows that that try to do that right they're like here's this moment here's an ingredient here's an ingredient here's an ingredient it's making it obvious to you but left sort of like undiscussed when you take that bite it just all works together that's what i love about creativity the most is when you you're making all these tiny choices in service of the final experience the person on the receiving end doesn't actually necessarily notice those tiny choices uh, they just notice the great moment. You know, it's not like you're leaving a movie if you're not trained in film to be like, you know, the transition between acts one and two were, oh, unbelievable. You're just like, I loved that movie or this part of the movie, right? And so you don't know necessarily exactly why, but the creator was controlling it. Like they know all the moves. So Rishikesh knows all the moves. And I think something about introducing Laura Marling with her song first. So the listener first hears her music before you hear her speaking is just serves the, this podcast, I think a lot yeah. as a music podcast to be like, to introduce this person, we are going to play their thing that they do. It, it also in a weird way, and I would love to maybe someday interview Risha Cash, although it sounds like he's the busiest human being on planet earth. Oh my <laughs> right. goodness. Um, but I would love to interview him someday and just ask about that, that decision. Every episode, he plays a snippet of the music before you hear the artist's voice because that movement, I'm getting chills because if he's intentional about this, which I think he is, it's brilliant. The movement between you hearing the song first in his episodes and then you hearing the artist speak, is, it's emblematic of the movement the show is bringing you on from you hearing music to you hearing it from their perspective. 
right? Because before you have this show available to you, your only option is to hear Laura's songs and then try to make sense of it yourself. So that's where he's starting. He's starting where we always begin, where we have access to the person, which is just through their songs. And now he's like, by the way, we're going a level deeper than you can get elsewhere. Here is Laura herself to discuss this. So I just think that that order is, it speaks to the whole theme of the show and benefit of the show to the listener. That was beautiful. Well said. <laughs> Let's go on to clip two. Okay. So what, what goes on in clip two? So this clip is pretty quintessential song exploder, in my opinion. In it, Laura discusses her songwriting process for a song for our daughter. And right before the clip starts, she mentions that she was on a holiday with her partner and he kept playing one chord progression over and over and over. Got it. So the the context before we play the clip, she's on holiday with her partner. This is not her in the song. This is actually how the song was made, right? Correct. Okay. So she's on holiday with her partner and he kept playing one progression over and over and over again. And then we hear this on Song Exploder. And that chord sequence ended up seeping into my unconscious. And I ended up writing a song with it without ever having asked him what the chord sequence was. So he's got a co-writing credit on this track, which is nice. I've got a Martin M32 and it's a 1986 Brazilian rosewood guitar and it's my sort of pride and joy. I always take that with me wherever I go. When a song comes easy, I feel like I'm surgically attached to the guitar until it's done. So I will go over and over and over. I'll start singing nonsense over the top of it and it will mutate into what will end up being the song. So it's, it's not like it comes out perfect, but it comes out in the course of 24 hours, I'd say. So what I find so mesmerizing and admirable about Rishikesh's scripting process is he's able to weave that, narr- that narration out of chunks of the artist's answers to his questions without inserting his voice at all. Like that was <laughs> Laura saying three totally different things. Yeah. You know, she goes from this this chord progression was stuck in my head. This is the kind of guitar I use. This is how I write a song just so seamlessly. And I feel like those three things could have been so awkwardly kind of bumbled together. Or you're like, wait, how did, you know, knowing that Rishikesh has put it together Mm -hmm. from other interview questions, we know that he would have asked her questions (laughs) like that in between. Everybody who wants to learn about sort of matching voices and music, because I think sometimes one of the worst things people can do with with trying to score something, obviously this is scored with the guest's own music, which is kind of nice, but we're all trying to maybe add different musical elements, sometimes lighter, sometimes heavier, and you know, more present, depending on your show style. Um, the cadence of the voice and the tone of the voice have to match the cadence of the song and the tone of the song. And when they're not together oh my goodness, are you snapped out of the flow of listening and you notice the edit, which is bad. Like, do not use music and try to score your your episodes to convey the fact that you have a high value production. <laughs> like, look, we have production value because there's music. You're doing it to try and bring out certain emotions that the voice is already leading with, right? And so if you want to learn about how this actually goes down and what I mean, go to YouTube and search for the Office series finale, final moments or something like that. Find the last things in the U.S. version of The Office. When you hear characters like Jim and Pam speak and listen to the song being played, 
which is actually being played in a scene by one of the characters. And then it's used as a bed to score some of the characters confessionals at the end. Um, when you hear the way the voices are speaking, it's actually unnatural. If you remove the track, it'll sound really weird. Jim and Pam are actually like matching, I think, what the song was like. So I don't know what led. If the producers and director was like, or showrunner was like, hey, uh, John Krasinski and Jenna Fisher, this is the song that we'll be playing and we're going to play it while you give us your confessional so they match. Or if the song came later, but they're definitely synced up so that the beats match. It's beautiful. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So so in this case, Tally, that's what I took from from that ability to seamlessly move between narration and all that. It's because so much of the way she speaks matches the music. If it didn't happen that way, Rishikesh wouldn't be able to transition so nicely because he would have to manufacture those transitions. That's such a good point. Yeah, and she actually mentions, not in one of the clips, but in this episode... She mentions that she always records her vocals and guitar at the same time, which is kind of unique for an artist. Usually you would record the instrument and record your vocals separately. Mm. And she's, she says it's because like when she's singing, she needs to feel the guitar vibrations on her chest when she's singing. And I just thought that was a really lovely way of thinking about it. And hearing you say that, I was like, oh, yeah, it's like the vibrations of her voice and that guitar sounds so correct together even in the spoken narration right i've done some shows where part of the episode rundown you know this repeatable framework you use and reinvent but it's a documentation of what the show should feel like and and all the blocks and beats as you move across the runtime so the rundown or run of show sometimes people call it Uh, i've done a couple shows where the rundown required a, a final voiceover from me as a host and when you find a track that you like that's evocative of the emotional plane you want people to sit on at the end, uplifting, somber and reflective and introspective, whatever. Um, Sometimes I will play that in the background while finishing the voiceover because it it makes sure that they align It makes sure that it it carries. And, And when I stop speaking in between points and the music does the transitioning in between things I'm saying, it's almost a guarantee that it'll feel seamless. Uh, which is what's happening here. It's just that it's not with the voiceover, it's with the guest. I'm also working on breaking my own bad interview habit of saying sure or right, which I just did after, (laughs) or just some kind of (laughs) affirmation between questions or as a new subject transition. And Song Exploder is full of these examples of how that isn't needed. And the interview's answers can tell a whole story when prompted correctly. Yes. What other sort of interview habits do you see, Jay, that are just not necessary to producing a great interview story? Uh, We've talked about this before, you and I, because we both like to speak. Sometimes we will launch the plane of our words. The airplane will take off and we're like, I don't know where this is going. I got to find a way to land this plane and ask the question. And what you end up doing in the best case scenario is you ask the question, spew out a bunch of words that are filler words, and then you say the same question again, where all you actually needed was the quick question. And typically, simple questions, plainly stated, no filler, get a lot better answers, especially if you can ask them with a tone that's inquisitive instead of challenging. Um, Tally, what did, what did you most admire about that track? You know, and then I back away and I shut up. It gives you this ability to think and give a real answer. Some press coverage described the show, I think the New York Times, as like the serious honesty Sometimes that happens just by asking them the right question and giving them the right prompt. And also, the last point on this is, is let's not fool ourselves. 
everybody who comes on our show knows that it's a performance in some way. And you're better off just telling them straight up. This is the tone of the show. This is what we want from you. Like every time I ask a follow-up question, it's because I want you to sound amazing. Use examples instead of generalities. If you don't, I'll ask follow-ups to ask for those things. Like I want you to sound awesome. So basically drop pretense. That's what I'm saying. Drop all pretense and just let the guest in on what you're going for, especially after you build some initial rapport. And I think you'll be surprised at how much they play along and your final cut will be better. I think I am ready for more Sound Exploder magic. Awesome. Uh, Let's go to clip three. Tee us up. Cool. Clip three is also, to me, feels very quintessential Song Exploder. And one of the things that makes this such a unique podcast about song creation. So each episode has this very satisfying section that we mentioned earlier, where the artist breaks down the actual sonic elements of the track, and we get to hear them individually. Can you define sonic elements for the non-musical? I'm not, you know, not me necessarily, but someone, someone <laughs> listening would have no idea what you mean by that. Right. So just everything that goes into creating a whole song. So whether it's the guitar part or maybe it's a pop song and the producer has come up with a cool beat, you know, in the background, like each element of the song. Like physically in the edit, you can see it like in your tool as the layers, the different tracks. Yes. Got it. Exactly. You see it as, right, a bunch of different colors and, you know, pro tools or whatever you're using to create a song. So, yeah, like, did you, did they choose to put strings in? Did you choose to put, you know, two bass lines instead of one bass line? Like, all of those things that you might not really, really notice as a listener because they're sometimes meant to be subtle and just flow as one cohesive thing. Can I ask a question before we hear this clip? As a musician, and I think this applies directly to a podcast producer, editor, you know, host even, is it disheartening to know that people consuming the work don't necessarily appreciate all that minutia? Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But, well, only, I mean, you know, sometimes I get really hung up on like, I came up with this really, really cool on a song I just released called Hummingbird, shameless plug. Um, <laughs> Hummingbird, now available on Spotify. Search Tally Gabriel now. <laughs> the bridge has like a pizzicato cello line and an arco, which is when you use the bow cello line. So there's just a lot of cello happening. Cool. And that to me was so exciting to get to layer a couple of... I'm a cellist, in case that wasn't clear. <laughs> um, to get to layer two cello lines on top of one another. Because I don't do that. I can't do that when I play live. Um that's the kind of thing that someone might not quite catch or I don't know. It, it, yeah, that's just a, an example. But I think ultimately my experience is you ultimately are just you're trying to saw you're trying to serve the larger purpose of the song. Like you're trying to ultimately make the song as delicious as possible. Right. So it has impact to the final consumer of the work who doesn't know what went into it. So they appreciate it in their own way and that they appreciate the whole and you appreciate the parts. To go back to the Mackie Rogers example, I wish I had always known that the drum beat for Alaska came from her patting on her jeans. I think that is such a cool thing to know. And yeah. I yeah. I mean, th- you know, thankfully, this podcast is telling us stuff like this, but it makes me think like how many songs have layers and very cool or I have another song coming out in a few weeks and my producer um, found on the street a 1970s church organ that he uses in it. And that's like, damn, yeah, what a insane, bizarre thing. And, I, you know, it's probably just going to sound to listeners like, oh, cool, organy, synthy sounds. And I'll have this just little fact of knowledge of like, it was just on the street and he found it. 
Well, you know what's interesting is this, the process of creating it, you know, that, that creates a, a story that you have of making it, the story of the song, right? Then you put your work out into the world, song, podcast, written thing, doesn't matter, any type of art. Um, and now it has to resonate with the story that other people have in their lives, right? And so it's, it's, it's on them to parse what about your track, for example, resonates with their story. And I think when you learn the parts and pieces, and then I promise we'll go to the, the third and final part and piece of, of this show, Song Exploder. But when you learn the parts and pieces of anything, you start to appreciate it, I don't want to say in a deeper level, just a different level. Because the depth can come from the whole just as much as the parts and pieces, unless you're like me and I think you, Tally, and, and people listening, where we are creating things. I think then it's a deeper level because our stories are that of creators and people that think about the parts and pieces. So like, I, I can't listen to most podcasts without thinking about what they were doing to make that show. I can't let it wash over me anymore. So does it ruin the experience to know the parts and pieces? A little bit. Uh, but I think you appreciate it on a, on a different level and if you are a creator on a deeper level. And I don't know if what I just said made any sense at all to you, but that's how I felt for about three years now. No, it made a lot of sense, actually. And on that note, on appreciating parts of the songs and parts of the creation process, I would recommend for this clip, if you are in a safe position to do so, to close your eyes when you listen to it and just think about what specifically stands out to you. The longest serving member of my musical team is a guy called Nick Peeney, who's an amazing jazz bassist. And then we had this pianist called Anna Cochran, who had this beautiful taste. Her, her taste is really unusual in what she chooses to play. I co-produced this record with Ethan Johns, and he played drums on this track. He's actually one of my favorite drummers. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, isn't it's just even getting those little tiny tastes, it just get little goosebumps. It does something. It's woven together so beautifully. So beautifully. And I think... We, we just get in just enough of those little flavors of every element. Almost like I, I could stand to listen to like just the piano part for <laughs> the whole song, for example. But it's so. Oh, we, when you and I were listening to this in production. I mean, like people don't know this. What happens when we record this is Tally and I will stop our recordings and go listen together to make sure we both listen at the same time to analyze it. So when we went away here, I said, I said, wow, like without controlling it. It just came out when that piano hit. And keep listening to this episode because then the strings come in and that's another level of wow. It's just... Yeah. But this this part of the episode, which is the exploding part of the song Exploder, <laughs> and it's what makes this podcast stand out so much. It's what gives it its niche. Because there are plenty of other podcasts where artists talk about their process or their inspiration, but none other that focus on every little element like this. And this niche is what sets Rishikesh apart as a podcast creator and what has made his podcast skyrocket to all of these charts and statistics. <laughs> and Jay, I'd love to talk with you a little bit about individuality and finding your thing creatively. Because mm -hmm. I think it can be, first of all, we love talking about this, so that's part <laughs> of it. But I think it can be a bit of a double-edged sword 
where as a show creator, you want to make something that stands out and has never been done before, but you also want to be honest and authentic to yourself. So making something wacky and different just for the sake of standing out never works. It never works. How do you recommend that creators approach these combative impulses? Yeah, to be liked and to be you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, there's so many ways to look at this. The, I think that it starts with the idea that you want to be deeply for somebody and also not for somebody else and defining that on more than the demographic level. A lot of people listening are marketers. So this happens a lot. You're building out this idea of who you're trying to serve, who your content is for, who your customers are. And you usually stop at the demographic level. You're like, they are senior level marketers working at large organizations in North America who have this problem, et cetera. Now that's okay as a starting point, but you really want to dive down to psychographics which are more like, what are your shared beliefs? What do you like and dislike? Uh, you know, how are you feeling emotionally? Are you rushed and stressed? Are you going to spend a lot of time with a long experience or whatever? Um, but mostly it's about beliefs and vision for what you want as an individual. And you can align on those things. Now, that sounds like the cold, hard corporate side of this. But from a creator side, I feel like so much gets better when you embrace that all creativity really is is repetition and reinvention. And maybe you insert reflection in the middle. So you do something because it feels like the right thing to do. I'm inspired by Tally's work. I admire her. I want to be a musician just like her. I will play something that's either exactly her music and try to figure out how I could do it myself or evocative of that. Um, I mean, my first podcast, I was trying to make Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown for audio for business. I made no bones about that. I've told people that. Um, and then as you do the repetition part, you start to learn, okay, where am I off? And that's the reflection part. So you start to think, I did something. What did I learn? How did I feel? And then the reinvention part is like, what will carry the day the next time you do the thing? All right, I'm going to lead with the fact that Tally sounds like this. Keep that at the forefront of my brain for my next attempt. And you just keep doing that. It's just, I'm trying something, I'm reflecting on it, I'm adding a little wrinkle or changing something, I'm gonna do it again and again and again. And over time, that develops like the you of it all. Um, but I think this notion that you can kind of pick it out in theory up front and then execute on it as imagined is folly. I don't think it's possible. What, I, do, you, what do you think? I agree with you. And I was trying to come up with something else to say because <laughs> we've talked about... Well, where have, where have you seen this come up in your life? I haven't seen what part of it exactly. How do you find your sound and style? I mean, we could talk about this from a podcast standpoint where the first show you ever worked on was my show, was Unthinkable, right? And how did you become you in the context of Unthinkable versus like mini me? Yeah, I guess you're right. It's such, an, it's such a balance between like being influenced by other creators and then just copying them <laughs> because of course you're influenced by people you consume media and put out a version that is some amalgamation of what you've come up with based on what you've listened to or read or watched or anything like that and i think with with unthinkable it was we were working with a pretty clear structure and there was a pretty clear theme of the show so it was almost like with those elements already in place i felt pretty relaxed in running three running free with my ideas within that structure because it was like okay the structure of the show that jay has created exists already so the show is going to sound like an episode of that show because these elements like the cold open will be similar and 
the part where we talk about the challenges this person has faced, like these things that need to happen in an unthinkable show were there already. I don't know if that's exactly answering the question, but no, I think that's a part of it. Cause look, there's no one way here, right? There's not like everybody's finding their selves they're in their work by doing this. Like you just pointed out some clear constraints help you play within the box more freely. And I think that's just that every study on creativity, by the way, shows the same thing that constraints when you know them and agree on them, help your creativity where we get into problems and want quote unquote creative freedom is when we don't know the constraints are there. We bump up into an invisible wall or we don't agree to the constraints we have placed on us. But when you have some constraints, like you said, the structure, the past episodes you heard, the different moments within it. Now you can be you within that tighter box. Um, You know, I also think back to my Bourdain mention, we often try to copy our heroes, but we don't stop to wonder why are we inspired by them? And like I'm inspired by Bourdain's style of storytelling because he finds deep meaning in the day-to-day. Like, yes, there's some big things that just by virtue of going to a location you can't or talking to somebody you couldn't ever access yourself, he told amazing stories. Just intrinsically, like those people were going to, whoever they spoke to, it was going to be gripping. But mostly he's talking to people about their day-to-day lives and visiting places people have heard of or at least experiencing moments that are simple and, and seemingly mundane. So when I realized that's why I like what he does, elevated meaning from the day to day, that's when I realized, okay, now I can do that in my own way. I'm still inspired by him, but I'm not just straight up copying him. So maybe reflecting on why you're inspired by certain sources is a necessary step that we often miss. That's a really great point. I was just thinking about, there's a, a music artist that I'm often inspired by named Orla Gartland. And I think there's something that she's so specific in a lot of her lyrics. And we've talked about that a lot too, as being the specificity helping, um, you know, make your product, make your show stand out a little bit because it is coming from your experience. Right. Like she has one lyric that says, I just want to hang with you and watch grand designs. I don't know what grand designs is, (laughs) but in the context of that song, it's, it's clear. And the message it's, it's just, you know, it's about missing someone. And that is, mm-hmm. it comes through with even not knowing, like, I don't understand that exact reference, but I have my own version of that show probably, or understanding that concept. Right. I also think in this episode of Song Exploder, we have a pretty interesting example of this in which Laura Marling took a chord progression from someone else in this song, but it's not going to sound like her partner's song because then she wrote the lyrics and the rest of the song came together. Yeah. The originality doesn't come from nothing exists than your thing. It comes from the fact that there is a status quo. There is a lot of things going on. There are preconceived notions that every creator and their audience has. And into that, you do something refreshing. And that's actually a perfect segue, almost like I designed it this way, into (laughs) into our next segment called Wrinkles. So we believe that creativity is the combination of lots of little choices. And my word, this episode just hits that squarely on the nose because not only is it three clips doing that, we're also deconstructing a show with Song Exploder that upholds that belief. Creativity does not mean big. It's just the sum total of lots of little choices. So for our listener who's listening right now, what is something small that we noticed and or can try to do something better on our shows that we pulled out of Song Exploder? Mine is that This is an example of what we might be able to do with a slightly more developed premise than what most shows in our category do. 
most shows are like, I'm going to talk to the most famous, most successful, most interesting people, full stop. So every time that person appears around the category of shows, and they will, it's almost the same interview. It's almost the same story. It's the end-to-end backstory. But you can learn a lot about an individual if you're willing to zoom way, way into just one thing. In this case with Song Exploder, they're zooming into one track and the tiny moments of making it. Right? I've done this with another uh, podcast that I built for a brand called I Made It. It was about uh, world-class creators, people you've heard of before. If you're in the business world or in the creative world, you've heard of some of these people. Uh, but we asked them to take one specific and favorite project and send it to us ahead of time. And then we deconstructed it together. So it was like the song exploder of the content world almost. So you can you can benefit from that very well-articulated XY premise pitch. And it makes something refreshing and different. And it doesn't really change a whole lot of your job as a showrunner. You just need to let the audience know that's what you do. You need to let the guests know that's what you do. And maybe some more of your questions focus on the created work. But then you take beautiful tangents to learn more about their thinking and their life and their work too. So that's my little wrinkle. It's zoom into one thing and really latch onto it. And it will automatically refresh that status quo of an end-to-end bio or story of the successful people you admire. My wrinkle is rooted in the fact that Rishikesh took what is technically an interview show and made it sound like a narrative show which is amazing and sounds like magic (laughs) yeah but that he made the format his totally his own thing and i'm curious for you to think about i mean you don't want to copy rishikesh as we just talked about but maybe if you're interviewing someone when does your voice really need to be there when does it not need to be there when are other narrative elements maybe more powerful in telling the story Song Exploder is one of the best produced podcasts on the planet. And even still, if you don't have the budget, if you don't have the experience, if you don't have the multi-hyphenate, ridiculously run-on sentence that is Rishikesh's career and all the things he does, (laughs) you have none of those things. What you do have is the ability to use the next pocket of time that you have to work on your show a little bit better, a little bit differently. And to me, that is what Song Exploder's theme is. That is what Three Clips theme is. That is what creativity is. It's repetition and reinvention playing out in the minutiae. Tally, thanks so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Every time you do, you're supporting a show built by independent creators trying to earn a living on their craft. This episode was produced by Tally Gabriel and hosted by me, Jay Akunzo. Original theme music by Tally's band, Cardboard Rocket Ship independent artists from New York City. Check out Cardboard Rocket Chip on Spotify. If you want to learn how to make your audience's favorite show, I hope you'll explore marketingshowrunners.com. Our mission is to help more people find and share their voices and make shows that make a difference. We offer lots of free content and interactive workshops and more. Learn more at marketingshowrunners.com or subscribe to my weekly newsletter, Playing Favorites, where I send the best of the best each Friday with a new original idea found nowhere else. Links are in your show notes. All right, that's it for me from this episode. I'm Jay Akunzo, and I believe our work is not about who arrives. It's about who stays. So thanks for staying with me, and I'll talk to you in two weeks on the next episode of the show. See ya. See ya.